name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. This morning, as we're celebrating Christmas, I I wanted to try to bring a fresh perspective to Christmas. And last week, I said I was going to do that by trying to dive in on some of the details of the Christmas story. Sometimes if we take a sliver of something and and look at it more extensively, it can help us just renew our awe in in this great story of Christmas. And so last week, we looked at one verse, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. And we looked at the joy and the details because there is definitely some joy in that verse that we are to find. And we talked about that last week. And I had intended to do something slightly different, but in the course of last Sunday, I read the prophecy from Micah 5. And when I did, oh, it was like instantaneous in my heart, I thought, man, that is the passage that I want us to look at in detail. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Micah chapter chapter 5, verses 2 through 5 in a little bit more detail. Micah was a prophet, if you don't know your Jewish history, Israel, the people of God, this nation that God started and founded, ended up splitting into two parts, the northern part, which we call Israel, and the southern part, which we call Judah. And throughout the, the lifetime of those two nations and that one nation, if you would, there were prophets that would rise up and they would speak for God. And Micah was one of those prophets who directed his attention to the lower kingdom, to the the kingdom uh, of Judah. And uh, he was specifically interested in the injustice of the, the Israelites that were in Judah and in, in the northern kingdom as well. And he called out their injustice. And in chapter 4 of Micah, he tells about the fact that the nations are gathering against Israel. They're gathering against the northern kingdom. They're gathering against the southern kingdom. And he talks about Assyria coming, and Assyria is going to, we know, would destroy Israel, would, uh, would take them away, and they would never be found uh, again as a nation or as the people that were exiled. The, the Babylonians, however, would come. They were lined up against Judah. And they would come, and they would take Judah into exile. And 70 years later, a great number of those Jews would return back, back to Israel. But Micah is prophesying in those days, seeking to get Israel to repent, seeking to get Judah to repent specifically, calling them to do justice, calling them to turn away from their sin and turn back back to God. And when we get to chapter 5, we we read this in verse 1. He says, now muster your troops, O daughters of troops. Siege is laid against us, and and with a rod they will strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so Micah tells the Jews there in Judah, he says, look, here's what's about to happen. There's a siege coming, and the judge of Israel is going to be smitten on the cheek. Now, the judge in this case is is the king, and uh, he's he's using these, this terminology, and he's saying, "Hey, the, this this siege is coming. They're going to strike the king on the on the cheek." It's a it's a metaphor, if you would, for the fact that the king is going to be greatly insulted. And as a matter of fact, history tells us that the king would be removed from power, and David's line actually would be removed from power from that time forward until a, a future point. 
Now, in the middle of this prophetic doom that Micah is leveling against Judah and asking them and calling them to repentance, right, we come to this promise we see beginning in, uh, in verse 2. I'm going to read it in just a second. But in the middle of this prophetic doom is this promise, this prophecy that God gives them to encourage them. Now, to help us contextualize this promise, let me tell you two things about it. One is that it was delivered in a real historical setting, but it did not apply to that time. In other words, it was delivered at a specific time in history, and of course, everybody who was hearing it for the first time thinks it's applying to us. This is about us. God's going to send us this promised deliverer that we're going to read about in just a moment. And so they were looking for him. And so when Assyria came down to take over Israel, they were looking for this ruler to rise up. He didn't rise up. Then when Babylon came down and took out Judah, they were looking for him to rise up. He didn't rise up. And so they began to think, oh, well, he must not have been for this particular moment, but he must have been for just some time in our, in our future. And he's going to rise up and he's going to be this, this leader who we'll see all the things that it says about him in just a moment, but he's going to rise up. So they're looking for this leader to rise. As a matter of fact, Israel has been looking for this leader for a long time. We call him the, today the Messiah. We call him the, the king. They were looking for this man to come because he did not come at that time. Now, the second thing that I want you to note uh, contextually to help us understand this prophecy is that in the New Testament, it claims for us that this prophecy has been fulfilled. And Jesus is the one that we're going to be reading about in the next few moments from, from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Now, we, we know that G, the New Testament claims this, and we know that the, the Jews kind of understood this as well, because when we talked about the story last week, when the Magi came from the east looking for this new king that had been born, the, the scribes went to their books to say, where is he supposed to be born? And they knew he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And, and so the New Testament makes the claim that Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, is the fulfillment of this promise that we're going to read about here, okay? And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like us to, to look at the details of this promise and hopefully be encouraged and maybe hopefully also just see the awe and wonder of what this story means to those of us who follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2 and following, I'm going to be reading from the ESV today. I chose to do that because this passage is so familiar, more familiar to us in the ESV. But this is how it reads. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Now, as I read this last week, I mean, it just jumped out at me, and I know why it jumped out at me, but it jumped out at me, and I thought, man, there is so much about Jesus in this passage that I think should encourage us. So what I'd like to do for the next few moments is just walk our way through it, and I'd like to show you seven, seven promises about Jesus, seven promises about this person who is to come, this encouraging word from Micah. And hopefully, each one of these details will encourage you. Number one, Jesus is our ruler. Jesus is our king. In verse 2, here's, here's really the, the runway to all the rest that's going to be said. Micah says, on behalf of God, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel. In the context for them, this was in the future. There's going to come in the future one who is going to be a ruler for me, one who is going to be king for me. For us, we're looking back. They looked forward, we're looking back on this, and we know that this ruler has come. And so when Jesus began his ministry, this is what he began to say, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, God's kingdom is here. And the reason why he was saying the kingdom of God had come was because the king had finally come, the one who was to rule. And so Jesus inaugurates his, king, his kingdom by being, being her king, by being the king. And he is the ruler of Israel, and he's the ruler of the true Israel. Now, Jesus' kingdom presently isn't like the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world today, they all have, they all have boundaries, they all have land possessions, but the kingdom of our Savior has not yet come in that way. His kingdom is not a kingdom as the kingdoms of this earth. Do you remember when Jesus was about to be crucified, just prior to his resurrection, of course, he meets with Pilate, and uh, Pilate asks him about his kingdom, and Jesus says this very thing. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. That's John chapter 18. So what I'd like to remind us in the way of encouragement, hopefully this morning, is, is that we who follow Jesus are a part of a kingdom. It's not like the kingdoms of this world, but we are a kingdom. We're a different nation. And yes, we are Americans, and uh, we, uh, we, we do have allegiance to our nation at some level, but our ultimate allegiance, listen carefully to what I'm going to say, our ultimate allegiance is to a different king and to a different kingdom. Our allegiance is to our king, the Lord Jesus. This week on Facebook, I, um, you know, I was reading through something, and, and I found a pastor friend who uh, was talking about one of our local representatives. And his whole post was talking about how homely this representative looked. And at the end of, uh, at the end of his thing, uh, he said, send homely home, talking about this representative. And, uh, and I looked at that and I thought, what does that have to do with policy? What does that have to do with what's right, what's wrong as far as people's choices? I mean, that is just a, a personal, rude, unkind attack against a representative that I don't agree with. That's what he was doing. So I wrote him a note. And uh, he, he removed it. He didn't remove all of it. He removed part of it. But my point is this. Whatever your politics, whatever your politics, you must never forget that our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. And the way we act and the way we respond in this world, we don't belong to the kingdoms of this earth. I recognize we have a responsibility at some level. But our king is different you belong to a new kingdom. You have a king, a ruler, if you say you follow Jesus. And we should behave as subjects to his kingdom. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Jesus is not only our king, but according to this prophecy, he's going to be our eternal king. Verse two, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days 
of eternity. Now, actually, this is a truth of, of earthquake magnitude, a magnitude of 15, and I know they only go up to 10, I think, but it's a magnitude of 15 on the theological Richter scale. Jesus going forth are from days of eternity. I don't know if you caught it this morning, but even in the songs that we sang, we sang about it an awful lot this morning. And what we're saying is here that Jesus, though he has a day of beginning as a human being like us, his days go back to eternity. Now, Isaiah the prophet, he's a contemporary of Micah, he's saying something really similar. In Isaiah, he, he talks about Jesus being, or this king who's coming, as being the eternal God. This is what he says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Now, the reason that Jesus is our eternal king is because the Bible says that our king is actually now listen, catch this, it's actually eternal God. So when Jesus was born, he wasn't created. He was from eternity past. He'd always existed, but he entered into our world becoming like us. I really appreciated, Jack, what you were saying up here this morning when you were talking about Mary and all of the things that would have happened to, to little Jesus. Jesus entered into our world like one of us. I mean, he, again, I, this is just, this is my, this is my evaluation, my estimation, but Jesus didn't walk around with his omnipotent power at the age of three. Jesus limited himself in his humanity, and limiting himself in his humanity, he became like us. And, and I'm telling you, that is a, you know, we sang this morning this wonderful song, it's about the cross. We talked about, you know, the, the birth stuff and all, and, and then we said, but it's about the cross. And I don't mean to take anything away from the song, it's true, the, the birth and the cross cannot be separated. But we cannot, must not, ever, ever, ever minimize the incredibleness of what happened in Bethlehem because God was willing to become one of us. That's only been recently in my in my following Jesus, that I came to realize that since then, you know, the church, orthodoxy in the church, the church has maintained that Jesus was never going to give it up. In other words, that Jesus, when he became a human being, when he took on our humanity, and, and, and if you would, joined himself with our humanity, it wasn't just a temporary thing. It was to be a permanent thing. And so that when Christ rose from the dead with his new humanity, the kind of the first fruits of all of us who will one day rise from the dead as well, Jesus isn't divesting himself of that ever. Jesus has our humanity now in glorified form. Jesus has our humanity and always will. So in the new kingdom, we're going to be able to see him and touch him and feel him. And I guess if he lets us, we'll be able to hug him, we'll be able to experience physical life with him, even as we experience physical life with him now. And, and so here's what it's saying, here's what it's saying though, in spite of the fact that Jesus did that, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus, that was the beginning of him becoming like us. But Jesus has been from all eternity past. Why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal one. And really that, that is so that is so revolutionary, everyone. Number three, Jesus our King is the promised Son of David. Now, now I'm going to try to interpret verse three, and you, know, you may not agree with me, and that's fine. People may not agree with me, but here's what I think he means in verse three when he says, therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. 
I think what he's talking about there, what God is talking about, is that he's going to give them up, give up David's line. Uh, and remember, David is the king, and God has told David, your, your prodigy, your, your son is going to sit on my throne forever. But at that point, from that point on, David's sons didn't sit on the throne. They were removed from the throne, and they did not sit on the throne again. In fact, some would say he's never sat on the throne again, but I disagree. He would not, David's son would not sit on the throne again until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he was declared to be the son of God and the son of David and to be our king uh, when he came. Jesus is the final king. And since Jesus rose from the dead and lives today, he remains the son of David on the throne of David forever and forever. Let me read you some things that God promised David in 2 Samuel 7. He said that your, your son, you're the promised king, anointed one, and he was promised to Abraham and he was promised to the house of David in 2 Samuel 12. He also said in 13, he said the descendant would build a house for God. Now, you know, so, so the Jews would say, hey, that descendant hasn't come because he hasn't built a new temple. The Bible says that Jesus has built a house for God. And in 2 Peter, it says, you are that house. I am that house. We are the living stones in the house of God, in the building of God. God, as, uh, God it says, as well as David would be the man's father. He would be called the son of God in 2 Samuel seven fourteen. When he does sin, God would discipline him. Uh, with the blows of men, 2 Samuel 7, 14. How can that be? Jesus never sinned, right? That's, that's a cardinal truth that we affirm. Jesus never sinned. But we do say that Jesus became sin. What does the Bible say? Jesus became sin on our behalf, right? And he, you go to Isaiah chapter 53. And I know I'm throwing a lot of verses at you, but go to Isaiah 53. And there we read that God placed on him our sin, and God, God would take Jesus' death as a, as a propitiation, as an atonement, oh, two big religious words, as a payment for our sin. Jesus would bear it. So yes, when he sinned, not in his own sin, but when he took on our sin, God would put the blows of death on him so that Jesus would bear them for us. God's love would never leave this one, 2 Samuel 4, 15, and we know that's true. And David's bloodline and kingdom is to be established forever. Many thought David's line was lost forever, but David's line was not lost forever because Mary would give birth to the son of David who would also be this king that God promised in Micah. Number four, Jesus is our king and he rules over all the sons of Israel. Again, I'm going to interpret this as I think, it's, I think this is right. Then the remainder of his brethren's Brethren, will return to the sons of Israel. What is that talking about? Well, again, looking back, it's possible, I think, to understand what Micah was predicting. And I think what he was predicting is something that we read in the New Testament over and over again that was a mystery to them. And the mystery was that God's people, God's true Israel, would be comprised of all men, both Jews and Gentiles, who love and follow and serve God by faith. Specifically, it's saying here that he would become the king over all of us because all of us now would, would come under this, this king of Israel. Now, Paul speaks of this mystery in numerous New Testament books, so let me just read them for you, okay? You just listen. This is Ephesians 3.1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Jesus, 
the Messiah for the sake of you Gentiles. By revelation, there was made to be known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Messiah Jesus through the good news. In Galatians, Paul would write to the Galatians, he would say this, even so, this is chapter three, if you're taking notes, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Down to verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, who are baptized into Christ, have been clothed, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So here's, here's what Micah was saying when he prophe prophesied or promised that the remainder of God's brethren would return to the sons of Israel. I think he's talking about the fact that we would all be united in this new king. We would all come under, under God's family, if you would, through the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament and in the, uh, in the New, we read that there is really... Uh, Israel as the nation of God. That's the people that God called out, the sons of Abraham, the, the people that were born to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They become national Israel. But all throughout the Old Testament, those who are part of the nation are not necessarily part of God's family. And the reason I know that is because God always called them, what did he call, some of you answer me, this is not a rhetorical question. What does God call the people within the nation of Israel who by faith follow him? Anybody know? The remnant. They're always called the remnant. Who's the remnant? The remnant is the people amongst the, God always desired that national Israel in its entirety, 100%, follow him, but they didn't. There was only this small remnant that was amongst the Israelites who followed and loved God. When Jesus comes along, that remnant becomes Israel and, and, and the Gentiles were all joined together as the remnant before God. Number five, Jesus our King is our shepherd. In verse four, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. Jesus would become the shepherd of his people. Not just, he's not just our king, everyone. He's our shepherd. And when you think about a shepherd, you, you, think of, you think of this passage in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, as my shepherd, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's what I don't want you to miss this morning. Hey, we've got this promise of this one who's coming. We know it's Jesus, and he's going to be our king, but he's not going to be a disconnected king who's just out there ruling us. He's a king who's our shepherd. He's the one who guides us and comforts us and cares for us, and he confronts us when, when we're wrong. Why? Because he's the shepherd. 
He's the one who really cares for me. We get into the life of Jesus when he's here on the earth. One of the things he says is, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not, not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and it's, he's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I think that's what we just talked about a minute ago. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Man, I love those words. Jesus isn't a hired hand. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the one that cares for us. And the one thing I want you to realize this morning as we look at this prophecy in detail is that when Jesus came that Christmas, he came to shepherd us and to care for us and to be with us. Man, I know sometimes it it doesn't feel that way. It feels like God is far away. I know my children right now, a couple of my children are really experiencing that where they just feel like God is far from them, but God is not far from them. He is not far from them. And whatever you're going through, God is not far from you. Here's how Peter speaks about our shepherd. Listen to what he says. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that he might die, that we might die, excuse me, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's the shepherd and the guardian of my life, of my soul, of me. He is my shepherd. He's my guardian. He's not going to leave me. And some of you right now, you're in a good spot. It's a sweet spot, and you know, and everything's wonderful. But you know what? Chances are you're going to have a really tough time. Because something really hard is going to happen to you. And the first thing you're going to hear in your ear is that God doesn't care about you. God doesn't, God doesn't, God doesn't, he doesn't know, or if he knows, he doesn't care. And the thing I want you to see is that Jesus came, I mean, read, let me go back and read the words of Micah again so we don't miss it. And he, this one who's coming, who, who has come, and we know to be Jesus, right? And he, Jesus, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. I mean, we're going to dwell secure. I don't... God has not promised us that everything is going to go the way we hope or want now, but he has promised that he securely has me, he will securely keep me, and one day, you know, I'm going to be in a place where it will be absolutely secure. Number six, Jesus, our king, will rule over all the earth. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." Here's one thing I want you to get. Hey, Jesus rules over his kingdom today to the ends of the earth. I don't think there's a nation on the earth where there's not somebody who bows the knee to Jesus. I don't think there's a spot on the globe where there's not somebody who owns Jesus as their king and who says, this is my king, this is my savior, this is the one I follow. All over the world, right? But there is coming a day when Jesus will reign over all the earth. And what I mean by that is he's literally going to reign over all the earth. He's completely going to reign over all the earth. He's going to extensively reign over all the earth. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about 
to present day, the United States, the present day Russia, the present day South Africa or Uruguay or whatever country it is, one day Jesus is going to rule over all the earth, every spot of it. Zechariah 14.9 says, on that day the Lord will become king over all the earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. In Revelation chapter 11, we read, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. I know some of you might not like this, but listen, one day the world's gonna be a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is? A theocracy is where God rules and reigns. That's what Israel was supposed to have. God was going to be, it was going to be a theocracy. God was going to be their king. They weren't supposed to have a human king. God was going to be their king. But they couldn't follow God. And they said, we don't want you to be our king. We want somebody else. We want a king like all the other nations. Remember that? And Samuel gets all incensed. And God says, why are you getting incensed? It's me they're rejecting, not you. Here's, here's the promise, guys. One day the world will be a theocracy again. And God will rule it. Specifically, Jesus will rule it. And so it says in Isaiah 9, let's go back to his prophecy for a minute, even though we're in Micah. Remember, his contemporary prophecy of, with Micah was for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And, uh, and somewhere, uh, maybe I'll come to it in a minute, it says that he will, he will uh, reign forever and in all ways. Let me keep reading. Micah, Micah chapter 4. Well, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of my notes. So, so he's going to rule over all the earth. And implied in that is not just that he's going to rule over all the earth, but there's coming a day when he's going to rule over all the earth forever. And the end of his, the end of his government, will, will, there will be no end to his government. And so it says, again, in that prophecy in, in, in 9, 7, here's what I was looking for. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. In chapter 4 of Micah, just prior to this promise, God says, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. Again, looking to this day. Revelation 22, verse 3, one of my favorite passages. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. That's us. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and they will no longer, there will no longer be any night, and they will have no need, no need of a lamp, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. I mean, that's, that's what we're got to look forward to. You know, I, I guess we all know, man, as we look at the government of our own particular nation in which we live, we see how divided and how broken it is. And it doesn't matter what side you're on of this great divide. We all think it's broken from, the, from a different perspective, but it's so broken. But don't you look forward to the day, seriously, don't you look forward to the day when Jesus is our king? I mean, he's our king. Hey, we're a di- hey I don't want to confuse this. He is our king. We are a different nation now. But don't you look forward to the day when all the saints of old are resurrected and, and we, we live in this kingdom that God is establishing forever and he will be our leader, our ruler, our king. Man, we look, I look forward to that. I look forward to that. And finally, the last thing. 
Jesus is our king, and he's going to bring peace. Verse 5, this one will be our peace. Now, I think that, that Micah probably had in mind as, as much as he tried to understand what, what he was saying. Because remember, even the New Testament says the prophets at times, they didn't understand what they were prophesying. They didn't understand the promises they were bringing. So I'm sure he tried to figure it out. And, and, and I'm sure it means at some level that he's going to be the peace in the world, right? We sing here at Christmas, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to all men, right? That's what we want, we, we hate the way it is. We hate the, the, the terrorist and the terror that, that everybody seeks to bring. We hate the divide in our nation. Nobody wants it, right? He's going to bring pre- peace at that level, right? But I think, I think God is talking about something maybe a little bit different than just governmental peace. Can I suggest two things that Jesus has in mind when he says that he's going to be our peace? One of them is this, that he's going to be and maybe this, this relates to that, but he's going to be the peace between each one of us. He's going he's he's to bring peace between all of us. You know, if I were to ask you to look at your heart, some of you here today, you're not at peace with some person. I mean, you've got just bitterness and brokenness and divide from that person. You know, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about any single person. I just know that's how it works. And if you don't have somebody now, you've probably had somebody in the past. You may have somebody in the future. Here's what God is saying. He's saying when Jesus, when Jesus rules in our life, and by the way, this is for tomorrow, but this is for us as his kingdom today. This is how we're supposed to be today. We're supposed to have peace with each other. So in Ephesians 2.14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, in, in his life, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity. Listen to that. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to God the Father by one spirit. Now I know that's talking about this this divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what, in essence, he's talking talking about. But, but taking, taking that and applying it to our life, it says that he's broken down these barriers that separate us and divide us from one another. We are a new humanity. We're supposed to be different. Inculcated in you because you are a new person is a new heart. And with that new heart, what ought to flow out of your heart is grace and forgiveness and preferring others as more important than yourself. Isn't that pretty cool? Wouldn't it be neat if we lived like that? Wouldn't it be neat if that was true for all of us? That I cared more about you than I care about myself? That I was willing to die to my preferences so that you might be blessed? That I was willing to forgive you the wrongs that you do against me just as quickly as you're willing to forgive the wrongs that I do against you? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's how it's supposed to be. And we're without excuse. We have the Holy Spirit. This is how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be different. Most importantly, I think, it's not just peace between us. He's our peace between us and God. And so in the fifth chapter of Romans, it starts like this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He continues, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
So here's what, here's what Jesus did. He's our peace. He brought peace between you and me, George. He brought peace between me and God and between you and God. He broke down the, the barrier that our sin put up between us and God. He took the death, which is the wages of our sin, he took it and he paid for it himself so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have new life in the Lord, so that we could one day rise again to be a part of his kingdom forever. The Greek word for peace conveys the idea of union, where our sin caused us to hide from God because we were filled with shame. See, Jesus comes along and removes our shame so that we don't have to hide from God. We can run and be a part of God. When warring countries come to peace, they don't become best friends normally, right? But when God, the Bible says, separated from us, at war with us, if you would, the Bible calls it hostility. When he reconciles us to himself, he calls us to be his son, calls us to be his daughter. I mean, the reconciliation that Jesus brought, the peace that he brought is beyond our, our comprehension. I want to end with a story. And here's the story. Just listen. Reggie's brother gave him an automobile as a Christmas present. On Christmas Eve, Reggie came out of his office and he saw a street child admiring his shiny new car. Is this your car, mister? The boy asked. Reggie nodded in affirmation. My brother gave it to me for Christmas. The boy was surprised. You mean your brother gave it to you and it didn't cost you anything? Boy, I wish. And he hesitated. And Reggie knew what he was going to wish for. He was going to wish for, uh, that he had a brother like the one Reggie had. But what the lad said was far beyond Reggie's expectation. I wish, the boy went on, that I could be a brother like that. For a few seconds, words failed Reggie. And then impulsively he added, would you like to take a ride in my car? Oh, yes, I'd love that. After a short ride, the boy turned towards Reggie. His eyes were glowing. He said, Mr., would you mind driving in front of my house? And Reggie smiled a little. He thought he understood what the boy wanted. He wanted to show, off, show it off to his neighbors that he could ride home in a big automobile, but Reggie was wrong again. Will you stop where those two steps are, the boy asked, and he ran up the steps. And in a little while, Reggie heard him coming back, and he was not coming fast. He was carrying his little brother, who was physically challenged. He sat him down on the bottom stair, and then sort of squeezed him up close and pointed to the car. There she is, buddy, just like I told you upstairs. His brother gave it to him for Christmas, and it didn't cost him a cent. And someday, I'm going to give you one just like it. And then you can see for yourself all the pretty things in the Christmas windows that I've been trying to tell you about. Reggie got out, lifted the boy, the lad, into the front seat of his car. His brother, whose eyes were gleaming with joy, climbed in beside him, and the three of them embarked on a memorable holiday ride. Maybe you're asking, why in the world did I read you that story? What does it have to do with anything I've been saying? Well, here's what it has to do with what I'm saying. It's because, as I read the story, all of you noted the difference in that young boy from all other little boys that we might have thought about, right? Micah prophesied that God was going to come and he was going to be our king. When he comes to be our king, he's going to shepherd us and he's going to be our peace. And listen, he would cause us to be born again. He would cause us to be born again. And here's what being born again means. It means I'm given a new heart. And it means that I'm different. And I'm changed. Today the Lord Jesus has changed me and changed you.
And here's what, here's what that means. It means that we're supposed to be like the young, the older brother in this little story. A brother who cares more about others than he cares about himself. Who sees through different eyes. Jesus wants us to be different. Because we belong to his kingdom. So today we celebrate Christmas and I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Chuck stood up here earlier this morning and he said, if you're on the fence, man, why are you still on the fence? Why are you not following Jesus? I, I want to invite you to do the same. I want to invite you to get off the fence and let Jesus be your king. Let him be your shepherd. Let him change you. Let him cause you to be born. Let him make you again. Give you a new heart. Cause you to be born again. Let him be your king. I want to invite you to receive him this morning. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And then for some of you that he's already your king, I don't know about you, but I still, to this day, after all these years of following Jesus, I still struggle with giving him the, the throne of my heart. I still struggle with that, as I know many of you do as well. Maybe all of us do. Maybe we all will till the day we see him face to face. But I want to invite you this morning to repent and let him, let him sit on the throne of your heart with joy. With joy, surrender your life afresh to the Lord this morning. Not ready? Then lean into learning. Lean into learning about Jesus. That's it. Let's bow our heads. So, Lord Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for giving Micah this promise so many centuries ago. Thank you for, I think it was 700 years before Christ, it's almost three millennia since you gave us that promise of Jesus coming, and it's been two millennia since you actually came and fulfilled it. And it's, and it's fulfilled, but yet it waits fulfillment at the same time, and and we just look forward to that. We long for your return. We, we pray even together today at this Christmas season and at this Christmas celebration Sunday, Lord, we, we just pray and say, come, Lord Jesus, we long for your return. This morning, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we, for those of us that follow you, that there'd be a, a renewal this morning of just returning our hearts, you know, back to you and, and just letting you be king and Lord and ruler and shepherd of our lives. Lord, the story of this little boy just grips our heart because we see how starkly different it is from, uh, from everyone else. I mean, that's how we want to be, Lord. We want to be different, especially this Christmas season. We want you to live so powerfully through us so that people would just take note and want to know about you. And Lord, for, for anybody here this morning who's never, never made a decision, never committed their lives to receive you and follow you, Lord, please, by your spirit, work in their hearts. May today be the day they follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for, thank you for being you. Thank you for being our Savior, our God, and our King. We bow before you today as our King. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.